you're our guest, what we have been doing since September is taking the first Sunday of every month and trying to make that um, a service that includes our children and presents things to our children so that they can understand them. And then some of our folks had volunteered to help our children lead in song and singing. And one of our desires here as pastors is that our eight-year-olds are standing next to our 80-year-olds singing one another's songs. And so to enter into that in a way that they can understand truth is really our desire. Uh, We already keep our children here on the first Sunday of every month, and that gives both our children's workers a break, and it also lets our children see us observe communion together, which is a sermon in itself, a proclamation in itself. And so that's really what we are doing here. Every service is not designed this way but we have decided for the first Sunday of every Lord's Day or every first Sunday of every month to be geared towards that. I don't know how that video struck you. We also don't typically show five-and-a-half-minute videos uh, during our worship gathering, but I have been in an area of Nepal like that together with another man from this church where we spent six days up on the Manaslu circuit visiting monasteries, and I will tell you, whatever you think of Buddhism or American kind of peace and tranquility Buddhism, it is not that. Tibetan Buddhism is harsh and abusive. It expects the firstborn of every family, the firstborn son of every family, to enter into its training where a lot of bad things happen. And so we were up there and One of our guides for a part of the trail is a young woman. Her parents were the first Christians in her village. And they showed us the area of the woods up by a stream in the Himalayas where the Buddhist monks took her parents and killed them, the first martyrs really in that village. And yet she is there as a young woman boldly telling people the good news. So when it says, pray for the youngest as they preach the gospel, it's really all that's there that's preaching the gospel. And so tonight we'll certainly spend some time praying for Nepal and other regions like it. But boy, can't you just exhale and at the same time your your heart is in angst about what most of the world lives under and yet here we are in incredible freedom making our coffee and driving our vehicles to gather for worship. And I'm not complaining. That is a gift. may not be a gift we always enjoy, but it is a gift. But let us enter into the hard work then for those who are suffering in prayer tonight. If you can't make it fully understandable, but take some time today in your own time or in your backyard or this afternoon to pray for those who are persecuted remembering those who are in prison as though bound with them, the Bible says. This morning, a text was read and there were a lot of big words. Words like righteousness, propitiation, redemption. These are big words. And there's a reason it doesn't just always say the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. These words mean something. And they mean something because as we're talking about what is wrong in the world, and that is sin resulting in death, and there have been reminders of that over the past seven days in Russia and Ukraine, 
in Israel and in Gaza, we're faced with the reality that there is a problem. The problem is evil and sin resulting in death. And we don't ask this often because we try to avoid the topic, but what will happen when you die? When you breathe your final breath? Because thousands found out what would happen last week. There's something we know deep in our heart, and I believe all of humanity has this. It's what the writer of Ecclesiastes said. He has put eternity into man's heart. There's something in a person's heart that echoes there is something more, that this isn't all there is. Last year alone, in 2022, it is estimated that 67.1 million people died. They just, not by tragedy, but that's how many people died last year. I know it's a little morbid, but about every other year I check what is called the death calendar. And I'm not going to ask if you've ever done this. But it takes all these averages, not considering any kind of tragic accident. It takes all the averages. When you type in your birthday, it'll tell you about when you're going to die. As of this morning, this is how many minutes I have remaining. 10,511,997 minutes. That does not seem like people have more money than I have minutes left. It doesn't seem like a lot of time left. Hebrews 9.27 says, Each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. And so Ephesians 5 tells us, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Well, in Romans 3, the passage that Melody read for us this morning, Paul continues to analyze what is wrong in the world, and he reaches the same conclusion that Genesis 3 and 4 reached, and that is sin resulting in death. And yet Paul puts the problem forward and says it's a lot worse than you think. Romans 3.11 says this. Young people, I want you to look at the verse and I want you to understand the truth of it, that no one seeks for God. No one is out there trying to track God down and trying to have a relationship with Him. We are very much like Adam and Eve who when they heard God walking in the garden, what did they do? They hid. They ran from the very One who could help them. Romans 3.12, No one does good, no, not one. In Romans 3.23, a familiar verse, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what can be done if that's true? And it is true. Well, it's not necessarily what can be done, but it's what God has done to change that. It is what He has done as He steps into human history and shows us His love. So I simply want to focus on five words that explain the Gospel. We're going to take one word at a time as we prepare to observe the Lord's Supper together. And the first word is this, righteousness. It's used four times in that short passage that was read. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Do you see the first word that makes up that word? Right. 
Righteousness has something to do with being right or rightness. The New Testament word primarily describes conduct. It describes meeting our obligations or fulfilling our obligations. And God always fulfills His obligations. So in Romans 3, when it talks about God's righteousness, He meets His obligations. Do you know what, young people? God has an obligation to respond to unrighteousness, to sin. His justice demands He fulfill His obligations. So He has an obligation. He has a righteousness that needs to respond to sin. Romans 3.21 says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested... Not that slide quite yet. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been revealed. And then it says the righteousness of God through faith. And it says this was to show God's righteousness. Let me ask you, when you get in trouble, what is the first thing you do when you get caught? You try to protest. You try to say, it wasn't me. I had two older sisters. I tried to explain to my parents in logical form that it was them. My dad had a gunpowder horn, a cow horn, and it had gunpowder in it. And I found out the secret hiding place. And so I took most of his gunpowder and I made very dangerous, I thought, bottle rockets. They turned out to be bombs. And I stole his gunpowder. And if he's streaming today, this is probably the first time he knows that I did that. (laughs) And when you get caught, what is the first thing? Even if, if you are caught Doing the act, what is the human response? To excuse it away, to explain it away. But you don't understand. I didn't understand. I didn't know. That's what we do. We try to say, I was right. You know what humanity does when God comes along and says you're guilty? You know what we do? No, I'm right. I'm righteous enough. I'm not as bad as them. All we're doing is trying to do what Adam and Eve did in the garden. It was the woman you gave me. It was the serpent. I'm right. They are wrong. And that's why God says, let every mouth be stopped. Stop excusing yourself. Because He says in Romans, you are therefore without excuse. That's the problem we face. God's righteousness... And our unrighteousness. That's a problem. Romans 1.18 says this. Because if you don't think it's a problem, listen to what it says. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all what? What does it say? All ungodliness and what? Unrighteousness. Not just specific forms of really bad sins. His wrath is revealed against all of our sin. Your sin. Because Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. We miss His righteous standard. And what is the problem with that? Well, the wages of that, the payment for missing His standard is death. So we know what the problem is. Here's the great news. The great news of the Bible, the great news of the Gospel, the great news of Romans chapter 3 is that you can be righteous in God's sight. 
Even though you are unrighteous, you can be made righteous and enter back into favor with God. It's exactly what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. For our sake, so for us, He, and it's talking about verse 16, or or, or the, the previous verse, the Father made Him, Jesus the Son, to be what? By the way, Jesus knew no sin. He met His obligations. He fulfilled the righteous law. He was perfect. But God made him the only perfect man who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him to be sin. Not a sinner, but a sin offering. So that we might, read it with me, so that we might become what? The righteousness of God. How how in the world does that happen? How does, how does Jesus take my sin, all of it, and how do I receive His righteousness so that the wrath of God is no longer hanging over me, but it's poured out on someone else? That brings us to our next word, redemption. And this word is used one time in Romans 3.24. It says, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And this word is exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's kind of the idea of getting back. When a team starts with a losing season and they start to turn that season around, they say that that team is on the road to what? The road to redemption. There's something coming back. There's something returning. There's something that is changing. The Broncos beating the Kansas City Chiefs. Are they on the road to redemption? Probably not. But did it redeem some integrity from the embarrassing Miami Dolphins loss? Yes. Playing a Taylor Swift song at the end of the Kansas City Chiefs game. A little more redemption. Do you understand the term? We use these terms in a secular context, but the word redeem means to buy out. And it comes out of a context we are not familiar with. It comes out of the context of slavery. Someone was a slave, and they were purchased out of that slavery. The application of this term to Christ's death on the cross is helpful because if redemption is the purchase of a slave's freedom, it then assumes in a Christological context that you and I are what? We're slaves. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches. We are slaves to sin. We are under its power. And the result of that is death. Again, that's the problem. So how then do I get Christ's righteousness and Christ takes my sin and the wrath of God shifts to Him Well, it happens through redemption. It happens through a purchase. Somebody had to purchase me out of that power. Matthew 20, 28 says this, that He came to give His life as a ransom for many. That's also sort of out of the context of of a slave. It's almost as if we have been held hostage by sin and Jesus comes and with His own life pays the ransom. But how are we to be redeemed? If we're purchased back, what happens 
with God's wrath. And that's our next word, and it's probably the most difficult word, and it's the word propitiation. And this is used one time in Romans 3.25, even though it is used in other places throughout the Scripture. The word propitiation carries the idea of appeasement or satisfaction. But it's really two parts. It involves the appeasing or the absorption of wrath. That wrath has to go somewhere. It's the absorption of that wrath, but then also not just wrath removed, but a warm, close, safe relationship restored. It's really what a child senses with a good father. If there was an offense done, and there is a holy, controlled anger because of what has been done, There is the appeasement of that anger somehow, but there also has to be that restored closeness of a child to a father. It's that warm hug after the offense has been dealt with. It's that sort of a broken heart and closeness where the child knows that's settled, that's satisfied. I'm back close with dad. That's the picture. You know, God put forward His Son as a propitiation by His blood. Wayne Grudem defines this as a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end and in so doing changes God's wrath toward us into favor. It's really just like a human judge cannot tell a kidnapper or a murderer that your debt isn't an issue, just go because you told us you won't do it anymore. No, there's actually a penalty that has to be put down upon the guilty. So, I know it's a difficult concept. God cannot compromise His justice and simply overlook our sin. So what does that mean? God will not forgive us because we tried our best. God will not forgive us because... We're pretty good people most of the time. God will not forgive us because we never got caught. Some of you are masters at not getting caught. Masters of duplicity. Some of you think you will be forgiven because you didn't know any better. But you know what God says in Romans? That we all know. We suppress the truth and therefore we are without excuse. So if guilty sinners are to be set free, redeemed, if guilty sinners are to get a righteousness not their own, and if sin and wrath are to be propitiated, appeased or satisfied, then there must be some dramatic demonstration of God's justice. There must be something historical that says, that's where God's wrath went. That's where the penalty you deserved landed. And now you can be restored to close fellowship with the Father. That's what propitiation is. It's exactly the point being made in Romans 3 that in order to be forgiven by God, wrath must be satisfied. And here's the good news. Wrath, if you would, with the term propitiation, is connected to, and this is going to surprise you, love. 1 John 4.10, look at this verse. In this is love. 
Not that we have loved God, but he, that He loved us. Well, how was that love demonstrated? How did we see God's love for us? Well, He sent His Son to be, say that with me, the big word, the propitiation for whose sins? Our sins. That settles the matter of God's wrath. How? Colossians 1, 13-14. He, the Father... It mentions the Father in verse 12, whose wrath is a right response to sin. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have, here's one of our words, redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, young people, that is good news. I know these are big words, difficult to understand at first, But this is good news. And you know who that good news points to? This answers the question of who. Where is this good news found? Where is redemption and propitiation and righteousness? Where is that found? In Luke 22.19, it says this, and I want you to see this because we're going to be observing this in just a little bit. I tried to make this, other than the glass, as authentic as I could. Because a lot of times we lift lids off these beautiful, shiny containers and there's these pre-cut machine pieces of bread and there's these little cups and we miss the picture that Jesus introduced during the Passover meal. It says this in Luke 22:19. Jesus took bread and when He had given thanks, what did He do? And by the way, He's going to tell you this is His body. This is how redemption happens. This is how propitiation happens. This is why you can get His righteousness. That bread was what? Broken. And by the way, Jesus knew when He broke that bread that in a few days that would be His body. He goes on in that Passover meal and He says this. He actually pours out the wine and He says, this is My blood which is... And what does He do? And when he did that, he knew about the cat of nine tails. He knew about the nails. He knew about hanging on a cross. He knew that his blood would be shed. It's a very graphic picture, but it's one he doesn't want us to miss. His body would be broken. His blood would be shed. Why? And this is love. And that He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You take that from the theology that it puts forward and put that into an actual event. And it was when Jesus died on the cross for you. So 1 Corinthians 10.16 says this, the cup of, and this is why we bless it, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And therefore, Ephesians 1.7 says, in Him, in Jesus, here's one of our words, we have redemption. We have freedom. Through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Well, how is this to be received? How do you get this? Because most of you have known ever since you were little the facts of what Jesus did. 
of a historical man who did good things and who died on a cross. But how do you actually receive this good news? And that's our next word, our fourth word, and that's the word faith. And it's used three times in the short passage that was read for us. Through faith in Jesus Christ to be received by faith so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Through faith, by faith, the one who has faith. Look at, look at verse 24 and 25 of Romans 3. We are justified by His grace as a what? Gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. So you have a gift and by faith. Now we have an item in our house that is very popular and they often go missing. And it is a little white box. I was going to bring mine to sort of put it before you and it's got two little earbuds in it and they're AirPod Pros. And the boys love to use my AirPod Pros when they go to the gym and sometimes only one returns. Or they go missing altogether and they happen to be up at somebody's university. So if I were to pull out my AirPod Pros and they were brand new and I said, I want to give for the first person that walks forward, you got to move. I want to give the, I don't have them. This is just an illustration. Uh, I want to give to you a brand new pair of AirPod Pros. And I'm holding it out. For the first person that walks forward and takes them, under 17 years old, come and get them. Is it a gift? It's free. Do you have to move and take it? Yes. So let, let's say Eli moves. He's got the advantage. He runs up here and he takes them. And I said, now that'll be $150. Is that still a gift? No, it's not a free gift. Now I'm charging him. But if I offer that as a gift and he takes it, and even if he's hesitant, like, is this a trick? Is this a trap? But he takes it. He's received it, hasn't he? And you have to believe something. You have to trust or have confidence in me that what I'm actually offering is true. Right? There is a, there is a confidence, which faith is, and a trust. It's not just believing certain facts, but it's actually leaning on and placing confidence in what's being offered. Romans 1.17 says this, For in it, the gospel... Here's several of our terms being used. The righteousness of God is revealed. From faith, for faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Acts 10.43 says this, Everyone who believes in Him, faith, receives forgiveness of sins. Well, if you do that, young person, if you this morning, you say, I believe I've heard the good news. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I receive that freely as a gift. Do you know what happens next? And it's our final word. And it's really expressed, it's the same root word expressed three different ways. And that is justified, just, and justifier. Found in verses 4, 24, and 26. Here's the idea. This simply means to be legally declared righteous. So when you receive all this by faith, and you don't even have to remember what propitiation means or what redemption means or any of these other big words, if you simply say, that is good news. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm unrighteous. I know that the wages of sin is death. And this is good news that Christ would take that and I would receive His righteousness. 
I believe, I receive it as a gift. Here's what happens. God, as the judge, when you enter into his courtroom, he legally says, in in essence, not guilty. Because when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son. And what he has done is he has placed your unrighteousness on his son who died something, someone has to die for sin. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no jury. God has all the evidence he needs. He already knows you're guilty. When you stand before him, let me ask you, young person, what will his declaration be? Guilty or not guilty? Unrighteous or as righteous as my son Jesus Christ? Romans 5.9 says this, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, that's how you are legally declared righteous, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from what? From the wrath of God. And that's good news. You know, all other religions are about humans seeking God. The Buddhism that you saw this morning is about humans seeking a type of God-like status. Christianity is the good news about God seeking us because God told us in his word, no one seeks for him. It really is the picture of the shepherd leaving 99 sheep to find that one lost sheep. And we are each that lost sheep. We're lost in the woods, ragged, cold. We don't even know which way to go. And the shepherd comes and finds us. That's good news. Other religions are about establishing our own righteousness. But God says you can't do that. So Christianity is saying this, I will give you my son's righteousness and I will let him pay for your sin and I will declare you righteous. Last verse. This is why in heaven people will sing a new song. Read this with me. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you. And they're talking, sorry I interrupted you. We're talking to the Lamb of God. Okay, this is about the Lamb because nobody else could open the scroll and I looked and I turned to see and oh no, even the human elders in heaven can't. But the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, He can. Let's, say, let's start over. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And young people, that includes you. That is the good news. Let's pray.